Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. They will call you hysterical no matter how much dignity you have, so you might as well do whatever the hell you want. Jessica Knoll, Bright Young Women. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And this week, I'm discussing spooky book flights with Bookshelf Operations Manager Olivia Schaefer and Shelf Subscription and Packaging Coordinator Keila Cohn. Do you love listening to From the Front Porch every week? Spread the word by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see Write a Review, then tell us what you think. Here's a recent review from Kristen. Refreshing podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. I find myself waiting with anticipation each week for the next episode. Annie and her variety of guests and hosts offer honest and thoughtful insights on all things books. It's sweet, charming, refreshing, and all around lovely. I truly feel like I'm sitting on a front porch, sipping tea, listening to friends discussing their latest reads. Keep it coming. Thank you, Kristen, and thank you to all of the reviewers who've left kind words and thoughtful reviews about the show. We're so grateful anytime you share From the Front Porch with your friends. Thanks for spreading the word about our podcast and also our bookstore. Now back to the show. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Hello. We are here. We're here to talk about spooky books. So Olivia is back on the show. And then Keela, welcome back. I'm really excited. We're so glad to have you. Was the last time you were here for Spooky Reads? I think so. Yeah. It's like your annual tradition. It's my favorite. It's my favorite tradition. <laughs> it's your favorite time of year, right? This mm-hmm. is your favorite time of year, right? I'm not making oh, that yeah. up. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you are our resident spooky expert, so it felt right to bring you in back for today's episode. If you are a new listener, we occasionally do these book flight episodes where we pair a few books together on a theme. Everything we're going to be talking about today is spooky, though various definitions of that word. Olivia, I know Keela and I love scary movies and stuff this time of year, but you stick to books. Is that right? Yeah, I don't do scary movies. It's the visualization of it. I don't, yeah, I don't really picture a lot in my head as I'm reading, so it's fine, but I don't want to see something scary happening. If that okay. Makes sense. I also don't want to read true crime. That is also not my, not my go-to. I don't want to know it's actually real. Right. I would rather be fictionalized. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I get that. I even struggled with uh, this category a little bit because I was like, well, I wanted it to be spooky, but then I thought, but I do really like suspenseful things, and so that's kind of the word that I kept coming back to. But I, yeah, I think true crime. We're going to talk about it today. True crime is a little complicated. As, as are all the things we like and enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we like a good gray area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so here's how this is going to work. I'll kick us off. We'll each do round robin like we do for our new release episodes. Then at the end, we'll kind of give a recap of each of our flights. Um, As a listener, you are encouraged to kind of DIY and make your own book flights if you want. You can go to the bookshelf website and type 446 into the search bar where Aaron has each of our book flights listed and then also the books in that book flight. So you can create your own flight if you want. Let's get started. I'll go first. My book flight theme, other than being spooky reads, is, is true crime problematic? How can we fix it? <laughs> so, so just... <laughs> what an Annie theme. <laughs> but how can we fix this? <laughs> how can we fix true crime? Super fun category. <laughs> um... <laughs> Definitely on brand. Look, Olivia and I both read the first book in my book, Flight. Uh, it released this month? I think the beginning of this month on the on the third. Yes, yeah, right. So, yeah. okay. So my first book is Kill Show. This is by Daniel Swearin Becker. Part of what I immediately like about this book is as much as I love this time of year, as much as I love seasonal reading, spooky reading, I also have to acknowledge that this is the time of year when we get really busy at the bookshelf. And so it feels like I can't focus on very much. Like my brain is going a million miles a minute in different directions. And what I really liked immediately about Kill Show is how thin it is. So it is a short book that on the front says Kill Show, a true crime novel. And at first when I started reading this, it read very much like true crime. I kept having to flip to the front of the book to remind myself, oh, this is fiction. This isn't real. This is about the fictional disappearance of a young woman named Sarah. And the entire book is told through interviews as a podcast and true crime documentary kind of goes back and looks at the disappearance of Sarah decades prior. So what I like about this is as somebody who grew up watching, and maybe this is my obsession with with suspenseful and occasional true crime things now, is I grew up watching Dateline. Like I grew up watching Dateline on Friday nights. And I like that this is showing the after effects of something like that, the consequences of something like that, what happens when the nation or a part of the nation becomes obsessed with a case, in this case, a missing young woman, and then years later kind of delves into the obsession um, and what really happened to her family, to her friends, and the ripple effects of her disappearance, but not only her disappearance, but the obsession with her disappearance. This book is really enjoyable uh, to me as a fictional kind of suspenseful whodunit thriller. But I also think Daniel Becker is trying to teach us a lesson. I don't think he beats us over the head with it. Like, I don't think it's too in your face like some of these books can get. Um, But I think he is quietly trying to show us like, hey, there are some consequences to your obsession with true crime podcasts or documentaries or things like that. And I appreciate that because I still do occasionally find myself drawn to that genre. And I sometimes want to investigate why that is. And I think this book does a good job of it. It most reminded me of another book that Olivia and I both liked called The Appeal, which was told in kind of this epistolary emails, text messages, that kind of format, which again lends to really quick reading. So if you're looking for a book that is going to jumpstart spooky read season, I think this would be a good one because of the format, because of the length, um, and because of the storytelling and subject matter. So that is Kill Show by Daniel Swearin Becker, the first in my Is True Crime Problematic book flight. 
<laughs> you forgot the last part. How can we fix it? <laughs> That's important. <laughs> right. It's true crime problematic. How can we fix it? That's correct. And that's a really important part. My, my one woman quest. Here she goes again. <laughs> my favorite part of Kill Show is that I didn't pick it up because I saw true crime. You picked it up because you saw true crime on the, yes. on the cover of it. And then you were like, but it's a novel. And I was like, oh, okay. Yes, totally. And then I picked it up. Yeah, I picked it up thinking it was going to be like investigative journalism. And then when it wasn't, I really enjoyed it. Like I liked it, but I thought, oh, maybe Olivia will like this. And you were hesitant. And then I, yeah, then I quickly explained, but it's yeah. fiction. And you were like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but hyper-realistic, great. <laughs> but but didn't really happen, though. That's the, <laughs> but didn't, didn't happen. Really happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, my book flight, I have deemed this the things that probably should not have come to life. <laughs> Spooky reads. That's good. That's good. I love it. <laughs> we'll get to the probably later on, but this one for sure should not have come to life. <laughs> my first book is Dead Water by C.A. Fletcher. I think I talked about in new releases when this came out like a year or two ago now. Mm. A year ago, for sure. I love this author. First off, he wrote A Boy and His Dog at the End of the World. And then this was his his second book, not related to that one. Okay. And it's set on this little island off the coast of Scotland. They called it like a Scottish Isle. So that's my assumption. <laughs> I think safe. that's right. It feels safe. Yeah, I think you, I think <laughs> yes. you intuited that correctly. <laughs> Geography is not like my thing thing, but... <laughs> Set, the whole book is set over the course of 24 hours, which I love. And I know Annie loves as well, because it just sets up for this like fast paced plot. And the characters are all super vivid. They just want this quiet life on this tiny little remote island that's pretty disconnected from a lot of uh, internet, TV, news, that kind of thing. But one day someone hits this old statue with their boat. And in doing so, they didn't realize that they like activated this really ancient um, waterborne curse. Mm. <laughs> and so all these things start happening, but you get it from different points of views of different people on the island. So while some people are like actively dealing with what's going on, other people have yet to find out that this is happening on the island. So the suspense in this book is just so well done. You're just on the edge of your seat the entire time. And the characters are not only dealing with like their everyday life, but like some past and like some secrets that are now coming to earth as well. It was really well done. I really like this author, C.A. Fletcher. I think he's great and he knows how to write a good story. So that's Dead Water. That sounds really fun. You know, years ago, I read a totally different, but I read The Essex Serpent, which was kind of like about this mysterious creature. Um, and it wound up going perhaps in like a more literary direction than in really being about the creature itself. But I love books set kind of in Scotland. I don't know. I've never been there. So it feels very romantic in my mind, like on the moors kind of thing. Like it just feel like I can picture it in my head. Yeah. And the setting, like, I wouldn't have known that it was set in Scotland. I think the curse had to do with some Scottish mm -hmm. history, if I'm not mistaken. Like, it is Viking the wrong era person. I feel like Vikings region. are somewhere else. <laughs> are they Iceland? Norman? <laughs> Nordic. <laughs> There's something. <laughs> I shouldn't have asked this question. I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> People are yelling into their phones. There's a radio in their car. 
But any case, if they didn't say Scotland, like a Scottish Isle, I wouldn't have known it was Scotland. But it is set in this like a humid, small island, like a which small that town. one is very. Yes, that that is very felt in the novel. All right. Okay, Keela, what's your book flight? Okay, so my book flight is kind of like a spooky meal. You have your appetizer, the one, the, the entree that you're looking forward to the most, and your little dessert at the end. Okay. Um, <laughs> to like, I love it. Refresh from all the spooky books. But my first book is September House by Carissa Orlando. It's a haunted house book. I love haunted house books. Um, but Margaret and her husband move into their dream home, a large Victorian mansion. And it's like a really low price, like suspiciously low. <laughs> they move in and they soon find out why. And it's because it's haunted. And like the walls start to drip blood. The ghosts of the former inhabitants show up. They're screaming. Um, my favorite is Frederica. She's just this chill ghost who is like serving tea she's she just likes to drink tea she does have an axe in her head but it's okay we can look past that um but (laughs) that's not a spoiler um but there's also something very sinister about the basement like they have it boarded up they are like we're not going in there and one day her husband's like I can't take this anymore I've got to go and so he leaves and he like does it tell them why and their adult daughter has been trying to reach him and she's like mom I can't find dad I can't get a hold of him and she comes to the house at the worst possible time and it's in September when the house is at like the hauntings are at the highest like they're really going crazy and having haunting parties um (laughs) which kind of sounds fun, not going to lie. Um, <laughs> um, so she's convinced her dad is missing, and she uh, she doesn't know that the house is haunted because she never lived there. And her mom's like, no, don't come. And so eventually this mother and daughter have to, like, come together and work together to, like, find out what actually happened to the husband and um, her dad. So it's the, the house has a lot of secrets. There's a lot of history. It's It was really, really interesting and so well done. And I, I loved it. It was so much fun. Okay. How does this compare to years ago? I read Mexican Gothic. Okay. And that house, like, didn't that house, oh, spoiler, fast forwards. I'm, I'm about to talk about Mexican Gothic. Didn't that, uh, didn't that house have like a fungus or a mold? It did. Okay. Yeah. It was mushrooms. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Mushrooms. (laughs) Yeah. So how did... (laughs) That's why that's your favorite book. (laughs) So how does this compare to something like that? Um, It's very different because the Mexican Gothic was like very atmospheric. And this one, the house is almost a character of its own, but it's like, it doesn't feel as unsettling. It doesn't have that feeling of dread as much as Mexican Gothic did. I mean, it is creepy and you're like, yeah, the walls are dripping with blood. And that is an unsettling feeling. I mean, I would be, I'd be really weirded out if that started happening. But it's, it's just a very different feel. It's more like in your face. I think I might prefer that. I think Mexican Gothic, we've talked about this before. I do think I struggle with Gothic literature in general. I don't think that's my vibe. And so Mexican Gothic, I wound up not loving. I, I think the story was good. But um, I think I might prefer like in your face, blood on the walls. I mean... If we're if we're gonna go there in your face, blood on the walls. 
<laughs> in on your face, blood on the walls. Um, I am curious for both of you, if there was a home that was ridiculously inexpensive and you found out like your realtor, like you begged your realtor to kind of tell you and they were like, oh, well, there are rumors that like this was haunted or even at minimum, they were like, oh, somebody died in this house. Would you still buy the house? Well, I call it exorcist. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I would actually. Okay. In, in my right. mind, I'm like, yes, I would love to live in a haunted house. But then deep down, I'm like, no, actually, no. Yeah, I think I'd buy it. I don't believe in ghosts. So that wouldn't concern me. And someone having died in it beforehand, I'm kind of like most houses for resale. I'm sure someone has died in. Yeah. Violent death. Well, well, it happens. What, what, what possibly <laughs> happen? They're dead. <laughs> I don't know. I just I have thought about this. Jordan and I talk about this all the time. Like, would we buy a house that like, no, absolutely not. I believe houses have bad juju. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. no, I I believe houses like people carry things with them. And so I think you can feel when a house was not a happy house. Like, I think you can tell. Do you believe in ghosts? I don't know. I don't. I've not thought about it much. I don't. I don't think so. Like, I like to be scared. Like one time I was driving downtown Montgomery, Alabama, and I could swear there was like a figure on the front porch and I made Jordan turn the car around, but then I, we never saw anything. Like, I like to be scared, like to think, oh my gosh, there's a ghost. But I don't know that I really believe in ghosts, but I do believe in bad juju. <laughs> it's like it's Bigfoot. There's the line. Yeah, that I do believe in. Maybe not the literal like axe in your head or like nearly oh, headless Nick yeah. or like moaning Myrtle or something. Like, I don't know if I believe in ghosts, ghosts, but I definitely believe in bad mm-hmm. vibes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Well, uh, back to my real life terrors. Crying, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. The next book I want to talk about is a book that also recently released, but I read it a few months ago and I'm glad I read it uh, kind of on my own. I was so curious about it. Uh, it is Bright Young Women by Jessica Knoll. You might recognize Jessica Knoll from the book Luckiest Girl Alive. She has written several like super popular thriller suspense novels and I ha- hadn't really loved any of them. Um, but this This one came in, you know, in the mail at the bookshelf, and I realized it was fiction based on the crimes Ted Bundy committed, particularly in Tallahassee um, at the FSU sorority house. And I grew up in Tallahassee. I think... I think every, maybe, I think we've probably talked about this before, maybe on the last spooky podcast episode, but I think everybody has, like a crime or a murder that happened in their hometown that they think about a lot. Um, I could name you, honestly, I could name you three in Tallahassee that that I feel like I grew up hearing about, or even one that happened in my adulthood. Um, This is definitely one of them. My mom came of age in the seventies. So I was super curious how this was going to be handled. We've gotten a lot of Ted Bundy content over the last few years. Um, I believe Zac Efron played, uh, played Ted Bundy. I think we got a documentary and a lot of those really play up Ted Bundy's like handsome charm. Oh, he was so smart. Like, how did he get away with this? Because he infamously like escaped prison. 
all of these things. So I think Jessica Knoll really intended to like correct some of the modern conversation around Ted Bundy. And I think for the most part, she succeeded. I think this is the best book she's written. Um, I actually thought the storytelling was excellent. Like of her suspense novels, I think this is the best one. As a Tallahassee resident, as somebody who grew up knowing about this story, whose mom very much, you know, was terrified by Ted Bundy. I was also curious if this would be able to be held um, in a not sensational way. So I think um, Jessica Knoll really did a good job of centering the victims' voices. We have two women at the heart of the story, Pamela and Tina. Um, it's obviously set in the 70s. Um, I also think, I, I couldn't tell, maybe I need to do more Googling, but it seems like Jessica Knoll probably really did visit Tallahassee and do a lot of research. It feels very realistic to Tallahassee, like she really did drive around and, and identify the landmarks. One of the things that became a pet peeve for me as a reader, but other readers might, I think, have appreciated is that Jessica Knoll never names Ted Bundy. And that's kind of the thing, like even on the back of the book, you never really see his name. Instead, she kind of you know, I think in an effort to center the victims, she never comes out and names who he is. Um, I didn't, I don't know. I don't know if that worked for me or not, because you know who it is. Like, <laughs> like, like you immediately start reading and you know who this book is about. But do I think she did a good job of finally maybe putting to rest some of the rumors that like Ted Bundy was some like criminal wonderkind, like mastermind, like he was so handsome and he was so charming, he could get away with anything. And I think she really did kind of dig deep into that and reframe that in an important way. And instead, really framed all of the women he victimized were bright young women with beautiful futures ahead of them. And why did he pick them? And so anyway, I think that this book is worth trying. I know some of my Tallahassee friends were a little hesitant to read this one, um, and I totally understand why. But I think for the most part, Jessica Knoll did what she set out to do. Um, and if you don't have any qualms <laughs> about reading true crime or fictionalized true crime, then this one is a very well-written um, part of the genre, like addition to the genre. So so that's Bright Young Women by Jessica Knoll. Also, I don't know if she's done, actually, Keela, maybe you are, but Ashley listened to this one because Sutton Foster narrates it, which we were like, that was a fascinating choice. Was it good, audiobook, Keela? It was really good. So anyway, it might be worth listening to as well. I think that's where I draw my line on fictionalized true crime. Because that might be a mm -hmm. little too real for me. Well, yeah, because it is real. Like, it's not right. like Kill Show, right? It's like, <laughs> like Kill Show is a fictional, yeah. I mean, it could be real, but like yeah. Kill Show is totally <laughs> fictional. But this is very much, this to me is more of a true crime novel than Kill Show because it really was like a real crime and a real criminal and very real victims. And so you want to make sure they're not being re-victimized by this storytelling. That's why I liked that she didn't name him because I, I really liked that aspect of it that she didn't name Ted Bundy because in so much true crime and it feels like they're glorified and Ted Bundy was not attractive at all. Like some man, they're lying. <laughs> They've got to be lying. Um, they don't. I, you know, it's pro I think it's probably by comparison or something. Like if, <laughs> like if yeah, you're yeah. only compared. Do you know what I mean? Comparing compared to like, like if you're yeah. only looking at like serial but killers. Yeah. They really. I really felt like she did a good job giving a name to the victims and like their story and not focusing on him. That was a really good pairing, mm -hmm. Annie. Great job. That's really good. <laughs> 
Thank you. Free Thank problem. you so much. Is true crime problematic? I don't know. Let's fix it. <laughs> but like probably. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try something. All right. Well, back to things that probably should not have come alive. We move on to Cold People by Tom Rob Smith. I read this one, I think, at the beginning of this year, and it was excellent. It reads like a movie. I really want HBO to pick it up and do like a mini series on it or just make it a whole series. I'd watch a whole series. <laughs> I feel like other people would too. This is about um, the world when, okay, it is technically like aliens that come down, but maybe it's not like, don't like dwell on the alien part of this uh, description in this book. So aliens come down and they give everyone on Earth this ultimatum. Make it to an Antarctica in the next 30 days or cease to live. <laughs> I didn't know like a nice way to put that. <laughs> Did the aliens put it nicely? <laughs> <laughs> Were the aliens nice about it? Were they like, or cease to live? <laughs> You're going to expire. <laughs> they weren't nice about it. I tried to be. It didn't work. So you follow like a set of characters. There's like three parts to it. And you follow those three characters' paths as they make their way to Antarctica. And then at the same time, after they make it to Antarctica, it fast forwards, I think, uh, 20 to 30 years, where now humans have now colonized Antarctica. They used a lot of like the places that we already have scientific bases on as their like starting points and moved forward. But it was it was really interesting because you got to see countries and cities determine who was worthy of making it to Antarctica in the first place. And that was sad, but also fascinating. But then you move forward. And after they have started colonizing, the one Antarctica base starts playing around uh, with mixing human DNA with different animal DNA, specifically animals who are like uh, suited to be in cold weather. Because at this point, like, we can't survive on Antarctica. There's no way. Um, and they have so far, but like they're running out of resources because no one who leaves Antarctica ever comes back. So they're pretty much like, this is, this is all we got. Um, we have the remainder of like the ships that are just like left abandoned at the coast. And then we have ice and rock. Um, and so they start mixing human DNA with animal DNA and they start creating this like whole new species of human, which is where we get to the the probably should not come alive aspect of this. Because honestly, guys, I don't know. Maybe this was a great idea. Um, uh, maybe this like new human species is actually like where we're headed. And that's like probably a smart thing to do so that we can continue building our civilization because if we're space bound, like we do need to like alter some parts of us. Anyway, <laughs> back to the book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for that tangent. Um, <laughs> anyway, so this book deals with uh, the people who are now like these like higher species of humans kind of starting their takeover of the human race because they're just like, well, we're suited for this, but you guys aren't. So you need us to survive here. But why do we need you? You offer us nothing. Um, and you see this in multiple perspectives. And it's so well done. I slowed myself down while reading this book because I just wanted it to keep going and going and going. Was so good. It sounds like a really good X Files episode to me. Oh, it would be 
such a good X Files episode. It, just, it deserves more than a thirty-minute episode. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I want to know because now I'm confused. So I've got to go back to one of my publisher orders and order cold people because I had it confused, the paperback edition, because the paperback's coming out next year. I had it confused with some book that you read where you were like, you were furious and you got to the end and you were like, they never told me. Oh, the thing, the thing in, in the, the snow. snow. <laughs> it made me so mad. That book was, oh. Okay, so I had those titles. I had yeah. Cold People and The Thing in the Snow confused. Did you read it? I was very excited for that, but yeah, I didn't finish it because you were like, you were so mad about us, and I just couldn't get through it. I was so mad about it. And listen, maybe it was just like a smarter than I was. That's very possible. Maybe I missed something in the book, but if you're going to name the book, The Thing in the Snow, and then you don't start investigating the thing in the snow <laughs> until the very last page, I have an issue. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that is fair. <laughs> that, it does feel like they set you up to know what the thing in the snow was. Huh. Anyways, Cold People by Tom Rob Smith is excellent. <laughs> Please okay. <check> it, out. <laughs> it does sound good. So my second book is the thing you anticipate, like your little entree you anticipate, um, because I've been looking forward to this book for a while. It is A Haunting on the Hill by Elizabeth Hand. Um, it is takes place in the same world as The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, one of my all-time favorite books. Not just one of my all-time favorite spooky books, but one of my all-time favorite books in the world. So it takes place 60 years after the events of The Haunting of Hill House. And so history does what it does, and it repeats itself. Holly is a playwright, and she decides the best thing to help the actors get into character for her new play is to rent out a beautiful old mansion. And they all come and stay, and in true Hill House fashion, crazy things start happening. One of the things I loved I love most about The Haunting of Hill House is the first page and how like unsettling and beautifully written it was and it just grips you immediately and I haven't finished this I'm currently reading it and I am in love with it already like I'm annotating it and it will definitely be up on my shelf with The Haunting of Hill House um but the the prologue of this I read it and it was like Shirley Jackson wrote it. And so it was beautiful. And I just love it so much. And I can't wait to see like how this is going to play out and what's going to happen. And if it's going to have the same like feeling of dread that The Haunting of Hill House did. And I need Mike Flanagan to read it. And I need him <laughs> to like decide to make a show about it because I, I got to see it with the same characters as The Haunting of Hill House. Like they come back. Um. You've already written it. I'm planning. Let me get his number. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll plan. Um, is it? Has Elizabeth Hand written anything else? Is this her first book? She's written. Um, I just recognize her name. She wrote Ho Hokulo. I don't know how to say that. Road. Oh. Hokulo Road. Okay. I don't know. Just felt like I'd seen her name before. Well, that sounds like a book that was absolutely made for you. Like somebody in a lab was like, how can we get Keela to hand sell this book? And it sounds like Elizabeth Hand wrote it. Okay, the last book in my book flight is 
a little just ever so slightly different in that it's not trying to be true crime. It's not based on a true crime. But I think the things that Jessica Knoll was trying to do in Bright Young Women, I think Clemence Michelin, it's French, uh, I think she was also trying to do. And so The Quiet Tenant uh, by Clemence Michelin, this book, I read it on a whim this summer. And I love books. I don't know how you guys feel. But I love reading books in advance. Like I love reading advanced reader copies. But there's also something about like occasionally picking up a book at the bookshelf or when I'm out of town at another bookstore and just like reading it because I want to and like on alongside the rest of the world instead of in advance. I don't know. I I just I bought The Quiet Tenant and it was just nice to read a book because I wanted to. <laughs> um, and so anyway, this is a French author who wanted to write a book in English. So it's not a translation. She's French, but decided to write in English, which I cannot get over. Um, and it's about a serial killer, but it's not really about the serial killer. It is about his victims and and the women in his life. So the book is narrated in three women's voices, his daughter, his girlfriend, and then the victim he still is keeping at the start of the book in the shed in the back of his home. So it very much reminded me of Emma Donahue's Room, which was a book I loved. I actually really loved the movie too. Um, but you get her perspective. And just like Kilo was saying, a book that kind of starts and immediately fills you with dread or fills you with like anticipation. This book started and I immediately was like, okay, I'm in it because you know that this young woman is in this shed and you want her desperately to get out. And no spoilers, but the man moves and buys a new home. And when he buys a new home, really he should you know, as his MO has been previously, he should kill the woman in the shed. But she, through some savvy brilliance, she winds up convincing him to take her with him. And so he winds up keeping her in a room in the new house he's bought. Is this implausible? Slightly. Like, you do feel like this feels like not real or not something that could really happen. But he keeps her in a room in the house and then continues to like, go out in his community and you, the reader, know in the community, he's like beloved and everybody loves him and loves his daughter. And anyway, the book is about the three women who deal the most directly with him. And instead of him, I think, I think his name's Adrian. Um, instead of Adrian becoming the center of the story, the women are the center of the story. And that's why it reminded me. And I thought it would be a good read along with, uh, Bright Young Women. Um, it also reminded me a little bit of Notes on an Execution, which I read years ago by Danya Kukafka. Um, I know not everybody loved that book and some people had criticisms about that book. I loved it um, and I thought it was really thoughtful. Um, again, kind of trying to take this, um, these killers that for whatever reason we become obsessed with, particularly in America, and, you know, we wind up remembering their names, but not the names of, of their victims. And so I think a lot of these fiction writers are trying to grapple with that. So The Quiet Tenant by Clemence Michelin, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. Not really sure. Um, but I really like this book. I absolutely through, flew through it. It's deeply unsettling and interesting. Um, and I think if you're looking for a, a sinister kind of suspenseful read, that that should be on your list. So is it a spoiler if, do the, does the daughter and the wife know about this girl? They do not. Uh, they, that's no spoilers. They don't at first. And we'll leave it at that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Yeah. I have some questions later. Yes. I think especially I did at first too. I was like, this just isn't realistic. But as the book goes, I think she does a pretty good job of helping you suspend your disbelief um, and adding in like some realistic foils like, yeah, like his daughter and, and the girlfriend. I do want to read that one. It does sound really good and right up my alley. It was good. It was good. It was so fast too. Like you, you would really do fly through it. Yeah. Maybe I'll do December read. Mm. Okay, my last one is one I have talked about recently on here. It's Mr. Magic by Kirsten White. Um, I love Kirsten White. I think she's excellent. Um, And this one was, well, I think one of my favorites by her. I really liked Hyde, but I really liked Mr. Magic because it was super creepy. This is about a children's show that was like, like, it created like a cult around it when it was being filmed a while back. And it was these children, I think there was five or six of them And they would be in this all black room and this man named Mr. Magic would kind of guide them through these like imaginary scenarios that they would create. And the show would just like appear before them. No one knew how it was made. No one ever saw Mr. Magic's face. Um, Parents, (laughs) parents loved Mr. Magic because he would step in if the kids got unruly and just kind of like... (laughs) whisper in their ears and like bring <laughs> rain them so back creepy in. <laughs> um but then 30 years later they're getting all of these children back together because the show has ended abruptly after a fire happened on the studio and one of the girls was like taken away by her father they got all of the kids back together because there's going to be a podcast recorded about it and so they all came back to the mr magic house And they all start recording this podcast and they start finding out a lot about Mr. Magic because there is no evidence left of Mr. Magic happening. No one can find videos of it. Like YouTube has nothing. And so everyone is kind of like, was this in my head or was it not? Um, Everyone who listens to the podcast might remember my reference to Out of the Box. Love that show. Knew. That's right. And, and Dylan knew because he added the music. Dylan knew. Thank goodness for producer Dylan. <laughs> Made me feel not crazy. <laughs> but I just thought this was so, so creepy and so good. Um, Mr. Magic is the character that should probably not come alive in this book. If you were curious, that felt obvious, but needed to be said. <laughs> Uh, such a good theme for a trio of books thank you i i thought it was really fun yeah <laughs> I it was really good yeah i loved it it was great it was great and the cover is amazing the cover's fun yeah okay so for my last book i have very different from my first two it's the dessert um it's a rom-com <laughs> it's my roommate is a vampire by jenna levine Okay, I is very out of my genre, but you know what? We're going with it. Um, so Cassie has been evicted from her home and is searching on Craigslist for a new place. Um, she's having some financial trouble, and she finds a very cheap room in a very good neighborhood. It's like two hundred dollars a month in like this really nice part of Chicago, and she gets there because she's desperate and she takes it and she meets her um, like ridiculously attractive roommate. And she's like, this guy's really attractive, but there's something off. Something's weird about him. Like 
why is he sleeping all day and he's working at night? She thinks he might be a drug dealer uh, or like a pimp or something. And I don't, oh, well, I said it. I didn't know if I could say pimp on a podcast. (laughs) Anyways, so his name is Frederick Fitzwilliam. I love him so much. He's like constantly overdressed. Um, But anyways, eventually she finds out that, and we know from the title that he's a vampire and he's so dumb. He's just, he doesn't know how anything works. He's in the (laughs) modern world, but he doesn't even know how the internet works. He doesn't cook. He doesn't know how to, he doesn't know what pots to get. There's like this really cute scene where he goes to get like, like pots and pans for her to cook and he calls her and he's like do you like sauce because everybody's obsessed with these saucepans I'm gonna get you and she's thinking he's joking and he's like I'm gonna get some saucepans he seemed to really like sauce and so he comes back with a way too many saucepans <laughs> it's just it's fun it's lighthearted. I laughed out loud which takes a lot for me in a book I feel like or anyone I feel like it's hard to like make people laugh out loud in a book but this one I did and I've been like shoving this down everyone's throat because it was I just loved it I love Frederick he's like he's like a little puppy dog is this like the rom-com version of uh southern book club's guide to slaying vampire what was the name of that book that we all read was that southern southern i got it yeah is it like that at all or is it not sinister at all it's not well okay there might be a little bit of sinisterness but not from frederick okay interesting okay because he's just sweet and the fitzwilliam the fitzwilliam part that's great yeah yeah frederick fitzwilliam yeah also what a great vampire it's great um So I did find out, and I don't know if this is confirmed, I did find out it is fan fiction. Mulder and Scully? Fitzwilliam Darcy? Twilight? No, Kylo Ren and Rey from Star Wars. Interesting. And so is that book, Forget Me Not, that I read. Is that Kylo Ren? Another rom-com. Yeah. Wow, people really like Kylo. Fan fiction is having a moment. It really is. Annie, we know. But they're really doing a spin on the whole Kylo Ren and what's-her-face situation. That feels very out of place, a vampire and a regular girl. The Raylo. Yeah, it did feel really weird. I was shocked because I didn't get those vibes at all. Like, I would have never guessed. But I guess it's like the grumpy sunshine type of trope. I was about to say just like inspired by, I guess. Yeah, I'm going to read this. I You have convinced me. You've been hand selling it for, I don't know, the couple weeks since you finished it. So I'm going to take it home. I was just trying to get through. I looked at Keela and I was like, Yay. I have to finish September. <laughs> I have to finish this awful month and then I, can, <laughs> then I can read something fun and slightly spooky. So I am going to read that. It does sound fun. Okay, so just to recap, my book flight uh, is True Crime Problematic. How can we fix it? Is Kill Show by Daniel Swearen Becker, which is told through fictional interviews and uh, letters and texts and things all about a young woman's disappearance and the impact of it. Bright Young Women by Jessica Knoll, which is a thriller suspense book based on the crime's Ted Bundy committed at Florida State at the sorority house. And then The Quiet Tenant by Clemence Michelon um, about three women who all um, are related to or in close proximity to a serial killer. 
I won't lie. That's a pretty great book flight. I'm pretty proud of it. <laughs> it's really good. I also think it's like the darkest book flight you've yeah. ever given. <laughs> It's so dark. It's so dark. When I sat down yesterday, well, first of all, like I knew we were recording this week. I had it on my calendar. But yesterday was when I was like, oh, right, we're recording. What's my book like going to be? And I I thought I haven't read any suspense books this year. That's honestly what I thought. And then I looked and I was like, no, I've read a lot of suspense books this year. But then when I looked, the theme just kind of came together. And I did think to myself, Annie, are you OK? You doing OK? I don't <laughs> I don't know. She's doing great. She's really analyzing true crime. <laughs> I really had to fight the urge to do the Michael Jackson song. Like, Andy, are you okay? <laughs> oh, Keela, my whole childhood is wrapped up in the like my entire, I think, what, sixth or seventh grade year and me being like, I'm fine. Like, I, I did not know <laughs> it was a song and it was great. It was great. Finally realized it was a song. I was like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> you just thought people were asking you this question. <laughs> yes, I was so frustrated. I was like, I'm fine. That's fair. I was, you were young. I was a child. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, my book flight is Things That Probably Should Not Have Come Alive. It is Dead Water by C.A. Fletcher, Cold People by Tom Rob Smith, and Mr. Magic by Kirsten White. I think if my mine is the most sinister I've done, I think yours is the most otherworldly. I think so too. Yeah, like not fantastical, but yeah. sci-fi-y. So mine is a spooky meal. Um, I've got September House by Carissa Orlando, um, A Haunting on the Hill by Elizabeth Hand, and My Roommate is a Vampire by Jenna Levine. Very fun. As I said at the top of the episode, all of the book flights we've created are available for purchase on the Bookshelf website. That's bookshelfthomasville.com. And each individual book is listed there as well in case you're a DIY reader who wants to create their own flight. Just go to bookshelfthomasville.com and type 446 into the search bar. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thank you. This week, What I Am Reading is brought to you by Visit Thomasville. Fall is a wonderful time to see Thomasville, Georgia. If it's time to hit the road for a quick getaway, we are exactly what you're looking for. You can rekindle your spark, explore historical sites, indulge in dining out, shop at amazing independent stores, and finally, relax and unwind. There's no better getaway than Thomasville. Whether you live close by or are just passing through, we hope you'll visit beautiful Thomasville, Georgia. It's worth the trip. Plan your visit at thomasvillega.com. This past weekend, we hosted our first ever, I think, actually, fall reader retreat. So we got to host readers in Thomasville during the fall season. Yes, it's still a little bit warm here. I'd be lying if I said it was chilly. However, there is not as much humidity. The sky is bluer and you do not sweat walking from shop to shop. And I'll be honest, I kind of only want to do fall reader retreats from now on. It was so fun, so festive, um, really was just a delight to welcome readers to Thomasville where they got to, you know, walk around downtown, go to Sweetgrass, George and Louie's, shop at Firefly, Kathy's Shoes, South Life, um, just got the whole Thomasville experience. That's one of my favorite parts about reader retreats is showcasing 
this beautiful town. And it is admittedly easiest to showcase when the weather is beautiful because downtown Thomasville is so walkable. And so to get to host people in the fall was just really fun. So if you have been waiting to visit Thomasville, I think now is a wonderful time to plan your visit. October and November are full of fun citywide events like our downtown trick-or-treating and holiday open house. So visit Thomasville GA to plan your trip. This week, I'm reading Empire Falls by Richard Russo. Olivia, what are you reading? I'm reading The Professor by Lauren Nossett. Keela, what are you reading? I'm reading Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. Well, thank you again to our sponsor, Visit Thomasville. Plan your visit at thomasvillega.com. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelftville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's podcast episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Studio D Podcast Production for production of From the Front Porch and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. Our executive producers of today's episode are Cammie Tidwell, Chantal Carl, Kate O'Connell, Kristen May, Linda Lee Drost, Martha, Stacy Lau, Chanta Combs, Stephanie Dean, Ashley Farrell, Nicole Marcy, Wendy Jenkins, Lori Johnson, Susan Eulings. Thank you all for your support of From the Front Porch. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make the show even better and helps us reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see Write a Review and tell us what you think. Or if you're so inclined, support us over on Patreon, where we have three levels of support. Each level has an amazing number of benefits like bonus content, access to live events, discounts, and giveaways. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you and we look forward to meeting back here next week.